This is like six or seven pregnancies. Hi, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the podcast where we dig into the lesser-known legacies of some of history's most notable people. So what's on your mind? (laughs) (laughs) What do you want to talk about? It's been a couple weeks, and we are feeling good. Things are great. Are we? Yeah. Things are excellent. I have not felt good since January, and I'll tell you why. Because you are very good at the internet Mm -hmm. and yes 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 and you've been knowing about covid since january that's that's true we've been preparing getting our affairs in order since january and now it's september it's september that's a long time yeah it was you know it we're settling into fall Mm -hmm. you know how i know it's a long time Hmm. my birthday's in september And so that means that I was conceived in January, (laughs) and I know how long a pregnancy feels. And this feels so much longer. This is like six or seven pregnancies. We're a pregnancy in. That's true. We're a pregnancy in. That's a unit of measure, right? Yeah. We're welcoming our first COVID baby now. Stop. (laughs) We are so, so assuredly not. Unless his name was Jesus Christ himself. (laughs) (laughs) And I really feel like God is not coming down picking me to be the next gestational carrier of the reincarnation of Jesus H. Christ. All I'm saying is, you never know. I do know. (laughs) Okay. okay. (laughs) Empirically. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Uh, Speaking of empirical and science and vis-a-vis science words, who are we talking about this week? (laughs) That's a, that's his expression. Yes, <laughs> this week's hero is in fact very science words. Mm-hmm. Many, much, much science words. Much science words. Good science. This week's hero, Sir Isaac Newton. Love him. Can't wait. Looked up pictures of him prepping our social media. He looks salty as fuck. <laughs> it's so uh, funny that <laughs> that portraits done in the 1600s of this man somehow managed to capture his essence in a way that before you'd heard anything about his life, before mm-hmm. you've seen any of this research, mm-hmm. heard any, me talk about any of this, you're like, man, he looks salty. He looks like the most judgmental person <laughs> I could imagine. He looks like he compliments me like our child compliments me, who says, <laughs> hey, mom, you look so pretty tonight. I like how you washed your hair. <laughs> That was very salty as well. <laughs> I feel like those are the sort of compliments Sir Isaac Newton bestows upon the ladies in his life. We shall see. All right. We let's shall do see. It. Remind me to follow up about the ladies in his life. I uh, hear there are many plentiful okay. playboy of Sir Isaac Newton. Here we go. Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, born 1642, Christmas mm. Day in our current calendar. Not Christmas Day at the time, but Christmas Day in our current calendar. Premature, scrawny, scrawny little thing. Uh, not expected to do well, to potentially not make it maybe. I mean, premature babies at the time, if they survived, were doing well. Oh, yeah. It was a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to thrive, not expected. A few months after he is born, like 
his dad dies. Uh oh. So it's just him and his mom. As Only a, child? Some siblings, I think. But right as he is elementary school age, his mom remarries this very strict pastor whose first order of business is to send Isaac off to live with his grandparents, kick him out of the house at a ripe old like five or six. Bold move. Isaac does not like this. And so grows up like resenting his home, this like farm, this like rural life. He's like, I'm getting out of here as quickly as I can, basically. Hey, you know what? That's something Isaac Newton and I have in common. <laughs> yes. You don't want to live in a small rural hometown? Getting out of there as fast as you can? Great plan. Get Go see the big city. At 11, uh, he enrolls in King's School in Grantham. So he's in England. Uh, gets in a bunch of fights as a kid. Is King's School like a... Like a High school? Oh, no, this high? is like elementary, middle. Okay. Got it, yeah. got it, got it. I didn't know if he was like... Middle to high school, A, a super genius enrolling in college at 11. No, 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 no. So he's he's not doing well, actually, at the beginning in school. Mm. Um, kind of a delinquent, but shapes up pretty quickly. Like, lots of it is just attitude problem. Like, chip on his shoulder and really not having any of it. At some point, though, when he's like 16, his mom brings him home to work on the farm. That's convenient. Yeah, right when he's like old enough to like, you know, do manual labor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and he's like, no, no, this is this is not the life for me. So within a couple of years, by the time he's like 19, he enrolls at Cambridge and decides like he is going to get out of get out of this small town life and go and like be an academic. Mm. He's going to live the academic life. Mm. He starts to like engage in this life and really get curious. He meets this math professor who is basically this new father figure to him. And this is when he, like, dives headfirst and, like, oh, like, I can win approval by, like, being the A student, right? You know, we all get there at some point. <laughs> some we? of us at, like, four or five, some of us at nineteen twenty. Yeah. If you, if you got it, flaunt it. Sure, sure. So That's how you get love. He is smart, <laughs> and he is like, oh, yeah, I can get approval and, like, this, you know, male person in my life to like really shower me in adulation so um, so based on what you know about both the myers-briggs and enneagram let's let's just speculate wildly about the sort of person we think isaac newton is because i have a guess what's your guess i mean i think he's obviously an intj and a type three which is like the winning combination (laughs) oh really oh really is that so (laughs) yeah I've never met an INTJ type three that I didn't like. Well, just out of curiosity, what would be your Myers-Briggs uh, Enneagram combination? Well, coincidentally, <laughs> <laughs> what would your Myers-Briggs Enneagram be? I believe I believe it's an INTJ type three. Yeah. See? And I like both of us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Real kindred spirit there. Right. But this is wild speculation based on about four minutes of information that I'm getting not firsthand, not secondhand, probably fifth or sixth thousand from you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so this is where this uh, interest starts to like really start to veer into obsession. The math professor says, look, there's this new type of math that uh, we are trying to figure out. It's called Common Core. Uh, For all you homeschooling parents, no. this is a new type of math called Common They're Core. Like, we, we're trying to figure out this thing called, uh, well, they don't have the name. They're like It's when values are constantly changing. 
Mm. Like, think about it. If you're just like, okay, this train's moving at five miles an hour, mm-hmm. cool, whatever. But if you throw a ball up in the air, it's constantly slowing down until it stops, and then it's constantly speeding up on the way down. Mm-hmm. They're like, this, it's always, we got to figure this out. But it's like, how do you describe the, the speed of something that's always changing? If you um, don't have the word speed. Yeah. Well, it turns out you don't have, you have speed, but you don't have the math for like this infinite number of measurements in between when it starts and stops, basically. I mean, I don't have the math for the infinite number of starts and stops. <laughs> so I, I took an AP course in it, thank you very much. Is that um, really a 17th century problem, or <laughs> are we back at the 21st century still not knowing how to do this? We're going to end up calling this calculus, basically, mm. by the time it's done. But it doesn't exist yet. So he starts, he d- dives in. He is sleeping three or four hours a night, max, barely eating, and he is just getting obsessive about this. He graduates at 23 without fully cracking this math open yet, but um, right when he's graduating and trying to pursue like his you know, higher education past post-grad stuff, a plague hits London where he's studying. Womp. Yeah. What's that like? Right? Well, so here's the thing. For this plague, he, like many people I know, locks himself away at his home, mm-hmm. and for the next like two years, mm-hmm. basically is whiling away just trying to make the best of what he can and ends up uh, making key breakthroughs in multiple sciences. Sure. Well, <laughs> Just that's like because we he didn't are. have Twitter. God, yeah. imagine what a life wasted yeah, well, okay, so, Isaac Newton would have if he had Twitter. So the first thing he does during this time period, he basically does invent calculus. Sure. Um, conveniently, he starts using it in his math and stuff. He doesn't publish anything. So this is going to come back to haunt him. He like figures it out and like uses it as a footnote in one of his other papers and stuff, but mm-hmm. doesn't like write a book and like share this with anybody. He's just like, oh yeah, I figured out this thing, calculus, and keeps working from there. Is that 17th century academia cutthroat? Oh, oh, it's going to get... <laughs> just wait and see. I One thing I do know about him is that he, like, sparred with... He's going to spar with many people. Oh, okay. we'll, we'll get to the sparring. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. that's my favorite part of, of any drama, the <laughs> yeah. sparring. We're going to get to the sparring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he, invents the, he invents calculus, basically, doesn't publish it. Um, but then he also gets interested in colors and light. Mm. Uh, and so he basically is dissecting light with prisms and mirrors and he you can tell he's like two years into a uh into a lockdown for this plague because at one point (laughs) in the quest to figure out how light works he sticks a needle in his eye and so he's like so curious about how light is working he like sticks it in you should have done a content warning for me (laughs) sorry so he's trying to he basically is like, I wonder what happens if I just like push on my eye from the back of it. No, and so he like puts no, it in. He's like no. trying to like push around in his I eye. I don't want to like, know what happens to his to eye. To misshape it. Apparently doesn't suffer any long-term consequences. Um, but oh, really? <laughs> you really think that's the behavior of a healthy person who has no long-term consequences? Oh, I'm not saying it's a healthy person at all. What I'm saying is like that's he the level he gets to. He doesn't lose his vision in that eye. Doesn't pop the eye or whatever can happen. Yeah. Um, but... In the pursuit of this, he figures out through this insane level of dedication that white light is a combination of all these other colors. I mean, so listen, if I were two years into a lockdown where it was just me, myself, calculus, and a few prisms, I would probably stick needles in places too. (laughs) Yes. Infinite number of possibilities. Understandable. Of of discoveries waiting to happen. (laughs) He doesn't let it stop at the physical manifestations. Mm. He is... 
also getting very deeply interested in the occult. He's getting interested in mysticism. He becomes like this this type of Christian that's actually a heretic. He doesn't ever publish this stuff, but he's like mm-hmm. getting very interested in this like obscure knowledge. So as he's doing his light thing, he's like, okay, there's five colors, red, orange, green, blue, violet. And then he's like, no, that's not a mystic enough number. There's seven notes in the scale yeah, of music. Yeah, you're going to yellow and green. Well, there's seven <laughs> notes in the scale of music. And so like seven is like a, a ancient mystic number two. So he goes red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, which is made up, not really oh, one yeah, of the colors. I was going to say. And then violet. So mm-hmm. he adds, he goes from five and then it's like really six. And then he's like, he adds a seven just so it lines up with all this other occult stuff. Uh, it turns out his main passion throughout his entire career, most of his time is going to be spent on alchemy and the occult. He, d- he makes all, all of his scientific breakthroughs and contributions happen, like, in a fraction of the amount of time he spends looking for this magic substance that will turn everything else into gold. Oh, yeah. This motherfucker wouldn't have lasted a minute in the 21st century. Podcasts would have <laughs> just consumed his time. There oh. are, I mean, listen, if just cult podcast galore. Yeah. He, he If he had any source to feed this, like, weird outlying conspiratorial part of his brain, mm-hmm. he would have just gone down that rabbit hole and never come back. Uh, yeah. But luckily, wow. he hit the border of what was available pretty quickly. And so, yeah, in the midst of these optical breakthroughs, he's writing all this down. He doesn't have... He, he basically gets lots of these contributions in before he like goes down this rabbit hole of alchemy. So by 1667, two years into this, he's 25. The lockdown's lifted. And he is now returning to Cambridge. Uh, shortly thereafter, a few years later, studies, becomes a professor, gets offered a professorship and has wow. this new knowledge of optics and light and things that he's been working on and is ready to like bring his bring his uh, research to the world. Sure. So Cambridge hires him and they're like, hey, you have new ideas. And he just shows up and he's like, welcome to Professor Newton's class. I'm going to blow your mind. I mean, All this brand new bullshit. Essentially, yes. <laughs> Part of that brand new bullshit is that he is, in his optics studies, he realizes that if you make a telescope instead of using these lenses that people have been using if you basically incorporate mirrors mm. instead you can get something that's 10 times as powerful in like a smaller telescope essentially mm. um, that's why if, if you ever look at like a, a fancy telescope now that you can get for your backyard like the eyepiece is off to the side yeah as opposed to like at the back of it because it's like the light reflects into the telescope at an angle using mirrors instead of just like being one straight set of lenses mm-hmm. uh, so he he figures this out and um, as a professor, this plus his other like light research, he brings it forward to them, and he's like, "Hey, I'm Professor Newton. Get ready to have your mind blown." And um, honestly, people people have their minds blown. They're like, "Wow, sure. this is really good. Yeah, this is like <laughs> get cool telescope guy." Uh, so they invite him to join the Royal Society of London, which is like this like council of scientists type mm-hmm. thing, right? Like it's like the center of knowledge. But it didn't go swimmingly like he gets in and then he like they ask him for more details about his research and that's when he's like oh yeah let me tell you about the like seven mystical colors of light and like (laughs) let me tell you about like all these other things and I'm like what and like and so like they start to dig under the hood of what's informing his opinions and like it very quickly becomes weird they can't quite replicate it they can't follow his logic because a lot of it is like a little strange Uh, and so Mm -hmm. it goes from like being the wonderkin to like all of a sudden like getting put into isolation he doesn't get along socially well with people he, he starts to like like feel like he's on the outskirts or like they're out to get him and they don't get him either is there and i obviously i am not a professional i am hearing this again six thousandth hand from you 15 minutes in 
Is there any research or indication that perhaps... Wait, are you going to diagnose him? I was going to ask if wait, he's wait, on... Wait, don't say... That. Okay. I was going to say, let's, let's, get, let's get through the story before we get to the diagnosis. There are speculations about mm-hmm. what his diagnoses may be. Sure. Uh, but um, let's get a couple more points of evidence okay. first. So uh, it's at this time when he's like trying to fit in but is also like a little bit ostracized that he gets very angry at several of his peers because they're trying to tempt him with the wiles of women I, and yes. distract him yes. from his work. And literally, the old, like they, they're like trying to like hook him up with women and he's like, you are out to get me. Yes, this is what I know about him. And I only know this because this motherfucker spells women in the craziest or like <laughs> wildest yes, way. Yes. W-O-E-M-E-N, which is not like the traditional way to spell women even then, right? Even then, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's like, whoa, man. <laughs> yeah, he's like, them females yeah. out to get... Oh, man, yes. Oof. So he is having none of this. He's like, As someone no, no, no. who's all, also been tempted by the wiles of women, I can tell you, Sir Isaac Newton, you're not wrong. <laughs> yes. Don't but, mess you up. <laughs> but he was he was uh, of the stronger sort who was like, never, never will I mm-hmm. be corrupted. I am mm-hmm. going to focus on my science. And so, of course, everybody around him is like, all right, you do you. Um, <laughs> okay, so at this point, he is like basically getting isolated back out, even having made this big first contribution. Uh, and it's not clear which way he's going to go. Um, it's around this time that a different scientist, Robert Hooke, Okay. Coins the term gravity. Mm. So, as as Newton is like being pushed out of the elite circles of science after been, having been invited in, Hooke is doing gravity research. Invents the word gravity in one of his in one of his books. Writes this first law of gravity, which says, and I quote: "All bodies put into motion will continue in a straight line until they are deflected." Hmm. And this sounds a lot like Newton's first law. Well, so this gets Newton's gears going, right? This is around the same time when conveniently Newton says, in retrospect, that he saw an apple fall from a tree. Mm. Now, this story has, again, like come to be like, oh, it fell on his head or whatever. Sure. But it's only ever told. And and it seems like he's consistent about it, at least. But right when Robert Hooke is publishing this big thing and Newton's being pushed out and Hooke is becoming like this new star. Mm hmm. This is when, after the fact, Newton would be like, oh, that book by that guy? Oh, no, I saw this apple fall, not his book, and the apple was what got me thinking about gravity. Mm. So after a few years in isolation, that was this book was published when Newton's like 35. Okay, so this is like 10 years after the plague. Yes, we're now 10 years after the plague. Okay. A few years later, like five years later, six years later... Newton starts writing this big contribution, the Principia Mathematica. Okay. It, it, the Principles of Mathematics. And it has a longer title. It has to do with gravity as well. Essentially, this is a big book about all of the mathematical laws of the universe, ex- especially gravity. In it, Newton has his three laws of motion. Mm-hmm. And the first one is, like you said, a body at rest will stay at rest, and a body in motion will stay at motion unless mm-hmm. acted upon by an outside force. Sure. Which sounds a lot like what Robert Hooke <laughs> did. Like, unless deflected. Years earlier, right? Sure. Uh, the other two laws of motion, force equals mass times acceleration, mm-hmm. uh, and then every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. Newton publishes this, and immediately Robert Hooke is like, hey, 
that sounds really familiar. <laughs> uh, like, I know you got like a lot of other stuff in here, but like some of the core stuff in your book sounds a lot like the stuff in my book, too. Right. Listen, man, I don't come to your house and start making encyclopedias of the occult. <laughs> yeah, right? Right. Okay, so, so, at this, so Hook and Newton are like exchanging letters regularly. And it's at this point in one of these letters back and forth after this is published that Newton... Uh, says a quote that's going to be become very, very famous. Okay. So the quote was from Newton. Newton is writing this. Newton says, You have added much in several ways in your books. If I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm. Right? So everybody's seen this inspirational quote, right? Mm-hmm. Well, just the standing on the shoulders of giants part. Yeah. Um, the thing is, when he wrote this, Robert Hooke was a tiny man who was a hunchback. Oh, so this inspirational no. quote was actually Newton being like, you wrote some nice stuff, but the only reason I'm here is because I was on the shoulders of tall people, oh, not your no. hunch ass, <laughs> tiny self. He's like writing the shadiest boat. Like, he's just like vicious snark. Wow, that feels that feels cruel. It's so cruel. It's so cruel. Deliberately He cruel. ripped him off. And was cruel about it. Insulted his, like, physical physical exceptionality. Yes. Yeah. In a way that is, like, then trying to diminish his intellectual contribution to the science. Right? Wow. Um, Salty. Yes. So. I bet he thinks I'm pretty. He likes the way I washed my hair. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is so salty. Okay, so clearly Hook responds and is like, so... The thing, the thing, to Newton's credit, the thing Newton did, Newton was a mathematician, Hooke was not. So okay. Newton wrote much more mathematical descriptions of the universe. Like force sure. equals mass times acceleration is a very precise way to say if you measure these things, you can do this. Hooke mm-hmm. was writing about gravity but wasn't very mathematical about it. Sure. Hooke was still like, look, the fundamental premise, it was clearly your work was inspired by my work. I think mm-hmm. I deserve more credit in this. Newton's response after the series of letters is that in the next publishing... Newton removes every single reference to Hook's work from every part of his book. It just totally erases Hook from history. <gasps> just like every single reference removed as if he had written nothing. What? And so like just like doubles down. Just like a total dick move. Just I intense. Mean, yeah. Wow. So when you said like, oh, that portrait seems like he was a little bit salty. Oh, yeah. No, every portrait. Every single every portrait. portrait. Yes. I was, yes. I had to look at a bunch of them today to make social media images for this episode. Every portrait just every portrait. seems like he is tired of everyone's bullshit but his own. But his own. And, oh, man. So, just as this drama is going on. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it, by the way. Leibniz. Okay. Leibniz, another math- mathematician, publishes the first book where he's like, hey, everybody. I've invented calculus. Oh, no. I have never heard this person's name, which makes me believe that Newton is also going to take credit for this work because I've heard Newton's name associated with calculus. So I, the only reason I ever heard Leibniz's name before is because in my studies of philosophy, he also wrote other philosophical stuff mm. that uh, I was familiar with. But yes, Leibniz is not on the same level of familiarity. So as you can imagine, this does not sit well with Newton. And even though he's busy with Hook right now, we will circle back around to Leibniz later on. <laughs> Listen, you can have more than one petty argument at a time. Oh, we're going to have several. Oh, good. Me too. That's how <laughs> I like to have my petty arguments all at once. Feast or famine. Don't stop. Can't stop. Yes. So in the middle of releasing 
after his first entrance into intellectual life mm-hmm. and now releasing this masterwork, Principia Mathematica, Newton is now at the center of intellectual life and is like widely lauded as a genius who's like united mathematics and physics in this like, you know, this series of books for the ages. Mm-hmm. Not satisfied with this, Newton is like, I came from nothing. I will not rest until everyone recognizes me at the, as the genius I am. He takes this newfound celebrity and decides, I'm going to get into politics. Like, he really wants political power. Uh, so he runs for it and is elected to parliament. What, um, a, what a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, like... Woof. Imagine. I could never. No, here's the thing. I would love to have more scientists in government. Don't get me wrong. I think that by itself. I think I have, I have been thinking about this for months. I would love to see a somebody who has studied psychology or social change run for president, run for vice president. Like, I don't need more lawyers. There's lawyers. <laughs> like, you can get lawyers to help you figure this shit out. I want someone in there who understands the way people make decisions and how to coalesce people to make a more... Uh, coalesced decision. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And scientists, yes. Sure. I think even beyond that, I would love to see social scientists in elected positions. No argument there. In his year as a member of parliament, he... Year. Singular? Yeah. Only only single year. Because <laughs> it turns out as he gets in there, they like have all these agenda items in front of them. Sure. And the thing that like comes up is like they're like, oh, there's a lot of counterfeit money going around. Mm. And for whatever reason, this really pisses him off. Um, Newton is like counterfeit money, and it's it's complicated. Basically, like they all of their money was in the situation of our penny, U.S. American penny today, which okay. is that like it costs more in metal than it's worth once you make it, mm-hmm. and this led to all kinds of unintended consequences, which is basically that like there was a ton of counterfeiting going around. And he's like, we got to stop this. And people are so impressed. He realizes he doesn't actually want to be in politics because then you have to like listen to people and you have to like do all this procedure. Care he, about potholes. Yeah. Who gets he wants the power. And so oh. he gets appointed to be the uh, warden of the mint. Okay. So my man's inspiring Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Seems so, like. Well, uh, Hamilton had a nuanced position on the economic system that would best consolidate the power of the separate states into like mm-hmm. one government union, right? Mm-hmm. In this position, Newton hunted people down. Oh, no. Yeah. So what happened was he, it was basically his job to say, you can't counterfeit money. And if you do, I'm going to get you. So he basically went out, got a network of like paid informants. Uh-oh. And he would go and, and try to find these counterfeiters. He would, he would find witnesses to like testify against people once they were caught. Um, if he didn't have witnesses, he would pay witnesses to testify that the people they caught With were counterfeit actually... counterfeit money? Yeah. Like, the money's worthless. Yeah, I mean, like, he, he would do whatever <laughs> it took, fake the evidence, and then he would just, like, mercilessly punish them. People would, like, beg for forgiveness, and... We're all just trying to get by. He would execute them anyway. No! Yes. Like, death yeah. for death by fake hanging pennies? For, for, for having fake money. <gasps> um, like, people would beg and plead. There were letters, like, written by people, like, passionate multi-page letters from their families and stuff. And he would just, like, you're hanged. Uh, basically, all of his impulses about, like, cruelty and everything, like, this was a way where he was within the bounds of what he considered, like, righteous in his religious writings. Mm. And he could just, like, be as cruel as he wanted and, like, felt off the hook. The governor, by the way, loved it. He In a few years, uh, he went from being warden of the Mint 
to the king appointed him the master of the mint, which was the lifetime appointment to be in charge of this stuff. He ended up executing 29 people, uh, Ah. some of them like the worst offenders. Uh, He would have them publicly hanged and disemboweled in the public square. Just like he just reveled in it. He was like, this is righteous. It's good. And like. I can, like, do whatever I fucking want. And so he did. And and this was, like, a big chapter for several years where this is where he became rich. By killing these people and, like, this public torture, he was also making an incredible amount of money that he couldn't necessarily make through the fame of being uh, an, uh, an academic. And so he was, like, both respected for his intellectual contributions and now just, like, incredibly wealthy and getting to, like, kill as many people as he could. Is there any evidence from his childhood that he abused animals? You know, that would be that would be an interesting find, but uh, nothing that I've seen. Oof. Yeah, definitely. It feels like it escalated from, like, poking your own eyeball to public disembowelment. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, all the worst impulses. Like, power... Rev- they say power corrupts, right? But power reveals who you are, right? I and- mean, yeah, there's there's evidence, or not evidence. There are studies that show that there is like an inverse relationship between power and empathy. It's not just like power corrupts as this like colloquialism. There's like truth to that in that the more power you have, the less likely you're to see other people as human beings. For someone who started off with very little empathy to begin with, (laughs) there was very little left after that. Yikes. So he was in his late 50s uh, when he was made master of the mint. A few years later, when he's 61, 1703, his academic stature combined with his political power and his wealth gets him named the president of the Royal Society, the thing that he was originally welcomed into because of his optical research. Like, Mm -hmm. he is now the president. I mean, just imagine if he had a wife bringing him down. Oh, no. Yeah, couldn't stand for it. Couldn't stand (laughs) for it, right? Um, Yeah, still, so his whole point has never taken a wife, has never really had a close friendship. Like, in all of these years, there's no close friends that anybody can find, like his confidants, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't trust anybody around him. So he's amassing this wealth and power, but definitely not relationships. When he is made president of the Royal Society, this is basically, he sees it as like, yes, this is my opportunity to just crush my enemies. (laughs) And by enemies, he means enemies any intellectual who's ever slighted him in the slightest. So uh, he gets in there. And you remember Robert Hooke from earlier? How could I forget? So <laughs> Newton gets in there and he finds Robert Hooke's portrait and he has it destroyed immediately, uh. just like ripped off the wall and doesn't start stop there. At some point, Leibniz had come to the Royal Society before and said, hey, there's been this dispute. I published this thing about calculus. Mm-hmm. And then after the fact, Newton had shown up and said, like, oh, I never published, but I definitely invented that 10 years earlier, and you just stole it from my, like, unpublished writings. <laughs> and he's like, can you settle this? And so now Newton becomes president, and he's like, you know what? Settled. First thing on the agenda, I'm going to settle this. He's like, let's <laughs> make a committee. He puts all his friends on it. They come back, and they're like, yeah, it looks like Newton invented this first, and you stole it from him, so he's the one who invented it. This is the official word of the king. It's over. Done. And gavel out. And so Leibniz is just, like, fucked over, because yes. now his rival is gets this... Uh, so, yeah, Leibniz written out of the books. There's another guy, one of his other uh, rivals, he's annoyed with because of, like, some other minor area of his research. And so it's about astronomy and, like, the motion of the heavenly bodies. Uh, basically, Newton just, ta- in his position as the president, takes all of this research, hands it over to the dude's, like, arch enemy. is like, here, go publish this under your name. Ah. And, he, and he, like, passes off this research to other people. I mean, just, like, 
total, total uh, score settling, zero sense of decorum. He is being as cruel and just enjoying having this power with zero consequences. Must be nice. (laughs) He is also, at this time, as the preeminent president of this royal society, the preeminent intellectual in the country, uh, he is writing like 650,000 words on alchemy. And how you can find this one magic stone that will turn Mm -hmm. everything to gold and give you a mortal, like, everlasting life at the same time. I'm reminded of that tweet that's like, yeah, I'm not going to read all that, but good for you. Or, I'm so sorry that happened. (laughs) Yeah, whichever is appropriate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, one thing I do remember, actually, from science class in high school is spending a very long time on the fact, not the science part of this. (laughs) Not the science in high school? No. So I had exactly two science teachers in my small high school. And one of them was very enthusiastic about Newton's obsession with alchemy. And the fact that there is a non-zero chance that Newton was exposed to a whole lot of mercury oh, yeah, around just this like, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like definitely some episodes in this history where like part of his behavior that seems like particularly off the rails mm-hmm. is potentially attributable to mercury poisoning for yes. sure. Yeah. So that's one fact I did know. Yeah. I had so, to dig deep. That that was like a sense memory thinking about uh, Isaac Newton and alchemy. Yeah. but And the other thing is like he knows this is crackpot stuff. Mm-hmm. So he never publishes a word of this alchemy. He like writes about it in code. He like goes on for years. He spends 30 years, much longer than any of his research into any other area of science. But he doesn't advertise it because he knows it sounds crazy mm-hmm. and people would not respect him for it. Mm. Um, conveniently, though, leaves that out of the histories that are like written about him and the accolades he gets. By the time he's 63, he is knighted. He becomes Sir Isaac Newton. Um, he lectures for the next 17 years uh, in Cambridge and basically to empty halls the whole time. Yikes. People are like, he's an asshole. Uh, you can just go read his books. He rambles. He's like, <sighs> yeah, basically just can't stand him, right? Score settling, mm-hmm. not making any other major contributions. I mean, after after your three laws of motion, what other contributions do you need to make? Well, I mean, like, it's true, right? Like, that on there. its own could, could stand, right? He also, however, starts to, like, he has theories about light and other phenomenon that end up ultimately being proved incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the force of his will, he just shuts down, like, all of the things that would ultimately be right, he just, like, shuts them down early on and, like, mm-hmm. no, and people don't study them for years and years. Wait, so you're telling me an asshole who just repeats things over and over forcefully in all caps <laughs> to a largely uneducated populace uh, doesn't have his theories proven inaccurate until after he's dead? Yeah. I mean, the, some of them are right. And the ones that are wrong, nobody challenges until well afterwards. Woof. Uh, what he does do, though, is that he holds back some of his optical research and some of his papers. He waits until uh, Leibniz and Robert Hooke are dead mm-hmm. before he publishes some other stuff so that he gets the last word in these arguments because, of course, he does. Right. Um, it's just, like, lucky that he outlives them. Oh, yeah. It's total luck at that point. Ultimately, in 1727, at the age of 24... Nope. Ultimately, at, in 1727, at the age of 84... There we go. He dies. Mm-hmm. He's buried at Westminster Abbey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has no close friends or relationship, never married... 
mm. uh, widely believed to be a virgin at the time he died, in his last writings on his uh, religious and occult beliefs, he did predict that the world will end in the year 2060. So good news, only 40 more years of this. Yeah. That's but, assuming climate change doesn't take <laughs> us out. I mean, it could be a lot of things. Before then. I'm just saying, uh, for the, solely the, for the fact that he picked 2060 and not sooner, mm. at least, Newton definitely not my hero. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, so we never circled back to some of these potential diagnoses that we were, that I alluded to. Yeah, so so you were going to ask, is he on the spectrum? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to ask. People, so many people who have read his writings and other people's accounts of his behavior at the time have said he's potentially on the autism spectrum, have diagnosed him with uh, Asperger's potentially. Sure, that's, yeah, I mean, that's yeah what I was going to ask. Definitely seems asexual. Uh, Good for him. It, it seems like there's definitely, there's some hesitation. Some people are like, you know, yeah, if you, you diagnose historical figures, there's yeah, always yeah, nuances yeah. you miss. But definitely seems like, in addition to his just like generally cruel streaks mm -hmm. and like his deep emotional trauma as a, being abandoned as a child mm -hmm. for like some reverend, also has some inability to like deal with human emotion and like understand what people are thinking and feeling. As sure. Well. Yeah. And uh, obviously you don't have to be on the spectrum for that. I was just curious. It just seems like the antisocial behavior, the sort of calculated social positioning. Curious. Obsessive interest, yeah. Obsess obsessive interest, yeah. <laughs> Seems like he's got a few of those. For sure. Um, yeah. If, if people are going to develop a, an obsessive interest about Meet Your Heroes, where could they go? Oh, I would not recommend that because, <laughs> listen, we're going to let you down. They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Your Heroes Pod. And they can find us on our website at meetyourheroespodcast.com. And they can contact us there. Or they can contact us on Twitter or Instagram. And they can listen to the podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold. I mean, they're already listening. Yeah, that's true. Please rate, review us. We still have that one shitty review from not shit to a boss <laughs> that we need to... <laughs> Correct. <laughs> that we need to cancel out. Yeah. But thank you to everyone who has reviewed us recently or rated us. It obviously makes us feel good and we all need a little more dopamine in our lives it would be nice to just see like one more review that's um positive that would be great it'd be wonderful mm -hmm. until next week don't be a hero don't be a hero bye